0: It's Thursday, November 19th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hell. joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio. Matt Argusinger and Jason Moser. Happy Thursday, gents. Yes, sir. Hey, hey. We got some earnings. And we've got a couple of IPOs. Uh, let's start with the earnings and we'll start with Best Buy. i am uh, trading those IPOs for a couple of
1: IPAs, Chris? Ah, <laughs> nicely, <laughs>
0: nicely put there! Well, we'll, we'll get to the IPOs. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. Uh, Best Buy, kind of a mixed quarter, third quarter profit, higher than expected. The revenue was, I'm going to call it, less impressive. And the same-store sales, while in the positive territory,
1: Barely in the positive territory, 0.8%. Now, I mean, I'm going to start this off. I think we all need to doff our caps to Best Buy's management here because who really thought we would still be sitting here talking about Best Buy as an actual publicly traded company that was, you know, doing okay? I mean, it's been a couple of years. Uh, it was on but, the ropes we we yeah we were talking about this being on the ropes there may have been a bold prediction for for a new year that best buy might be uh you know going Their retail going graveyard yeah. yeah and so i mean it's it certainly i mean it, it, they they definitely have some challenges don't get me wrong but but i mean it is still notable that they are able to participate in this retail environment and and still be seen as a a relatively competitive force in this retail environment um, I think part of that is due to the demise of HH Greg. I mean, we've seen HH Greg basically—they're—they're uh, more than just up against the ropes. I think their days are numbered, and so you know, you kind of saw HH Greg and Best Buy battling it out for that sort of physical retail space, and Best Buy's winning that, uh, no question there. Domestic online sales up 18 percent—that was good. Uh, online revenue now 8.8 percent of sales versus seven and a half percent a year ago. There's nothing wrong with any of those numbers. Uh, and, and I like that they are, you know, focusing more on the things that consumers really care about beyond pricing. You know, they, had, uh, you know, they had offered some two-day shipping, free two-day shipping initiatives here in the third quarter. You know, they foresee a, a weak fourth quarter here, a weak holiday quarter, which is is pretty much in line with with what most retailers, save Amazon, have have sort of lobbed up our way as well. So, I mean, you know, I can actually see a scenario where these guys do okay in the coming year. Um, That said, you know, it's not one of those. It's it's not one of those businesses that I have at the top of my list as this great investment opportunity because I mean, even on good days. They are still facing some serious challenges in a, in a very quickly changing retail. Space. Yeah, I mean,
2: are we are we delaying the inevitable? I, I think with Best Buy, I, I don't know. I, I, don't know.
0: I, I don't know. I mean, we've talked a little bit about how, unlike some years in the recent past, this year there is no hot gadget going into the holidays. There's yeah. no GoPro. There's no oh, you got to get this new Apple thing. And I think more so than any other retailer, the lack of a hot must-have gadget. Hurts Best Buy the most because if you look at the way that they are communicating to consumers through their advertising, through their marketing, they are very much presenting themselves as we're the place you can come to to buy a new phone, a new tablet, etc., a new TV, just in time for the holidays. And I think it hurts them more than others. I yeah,
2: I agree. I mean, I just I still just think. Of any company that's going to be disrupted or is being disrupted, let's let's say that way. Best Buy is it, and I. You look at the stock though, and it's uh, it's you know 11 times earnings, has a three percent dividend yield right now. I mean, you know, if you're combing for value in the market, uh, you might come across this company. I just think uh, it's it's going to be that way for a long time, and I don't know if it ever if the clouds over this
0: business ever go away. But as we touched on a moment ago, you go back two three years this business was looking much more challenged than it is right now. I get that it's not at the top of anyone's list, but it was so much closer to dead two or three years ago than it is now.
1: Yeah, it's moved from, like, hey, this is just a really compelling short idea, to, oh, wow, these guys are actually kind of hanging in there. Uh, It's not a stock I would short, it's not a stock I would buy. I don't necessarily consider it a value trap at this point. Although, if I I had to throw it on one side of the scale or the other, I I, I, I would probably put it on that value trap side of the scale, just because I'm not sure exactly what yeah, well, I don't know what the catalyst is for them ultimately because they they are still. I mean, I hate to always bring Amazon into the picture, but the fact of the matter is that is their biggest problem right now. Is you go into a holiday season like this, and you're seeing more and more people uh, are, are migrating towards e-commerce, buying their goods online, less worried about going into the physical retail store. And that's where you know Best Buy really needs to figure out a way to exploit that opportunity more. Uh, you know, for now, with with. You know, maybe nine percent of their sales coming from their online channel. That's just not enough. Um, not not enough by by even a close uh, amount. And so, I mean, we're going to need to see that number shift uh, considerably here in the in the coming years. Because if you look at even companies like Under Armour or Nike obviously different than, than you know a device sort of, a, of of a store like Best Buy but but even those businesses are are bringing close to a third of their business now is, is e-commerce related and uh, you know so I, I, what we've always talked about with Best Buy is that they needed to be able to differentiate themselves by offering something beyond just the physical, uh, gadget, right? Give me the service that goes along with it. And they're trying to exploit that with the Geek Squad and offering that. You can even gift, I think, this coming holiday season, you can give the gift of Geek Squad. So, I mean, if someone has a device, a TV, something like that, that they're putting in their house, you can actually give that gift of a service so that, that someone can come in there and actually take care of that for them. And it, they need to figure out a way to exploit that more because that really is a true differentiator.
0: You mentioned the possibility of shorting a stock. Which brings us to Green uh, Keurig Green Mountain, which is one of the more heavily shorted stocks out there. And the shorts are taking a little bit of a hit today, because fourth quarter profits for Keurig Green Mountain came in much higher than expected, and the stock up 27%, Maddie, Good day for Keurig Green Mountain, bad day for the shorts. but. Overall, the past twelve months have been pretty strong for the shorts.
2: Yes, and I, I was going to say that's that was exactly the point with this. This is this looks like a classic short squeeze all the way. If you go back to the the end of, end of October, about sixteen million shares, uh, or fourteen percent of Kirk's tradable shares, were held short. And anytime you have that, it creates a lot of latent buying power when there is better than expected news, or at least not as bad news as people are expecting. And that's that's what happened with this quarter. You know, revenue was still down, thirteen percent year over year. Profits were down uh, even more at fifteen percent. But again, top line, earnings per share better than expected. Um, you know, better than many had feared, and that's causing a, a bit of a pop in the stock. I think you're having a lot of shorts who are covering uh, their shares today. This is this has been a struggle for them. I mean, the, the new curry machines aren't selling very well. In fact, uh, in this latest quarter, brewers and accessories were down thirty percent year over year, uh, and. I think it's to me. It's it's. I think you've got a lot of customers who are just keeping the old machines. They work fine. They, there's no reason to go to the bigger machines. They're more expensive. They're a little. They're they're kind of kludgy. They don't work as well as the older machines. Uh, they're kind of what? Well, kludgy. is not
1: that, that a word? <laughs> is that a word? I don't
2: know. I uh, made do. up a word. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've heard that somewhere. But to me, actually, the more worrisome part of it was the the pod sales. The pod sales were actually down nine percent, and that's really where the company's been making most of its profit uh, over the years. So, and guidance didn't look great for 2016. So uh, I I just I just feel like when this short squeeze gets pulled through, you know I think this this company is still very very challenged and uh, you know I, I imagine imagine could go back down to where it was prior to this uh, earnings.
0: Yeah, and to go back to something you touched on, uh, this seems like one of those businesses that has a certain level of appeal, and it doesn't really go beyond that. And if you're someone who has one of these machines and it's working fine. Why are you getting a second one? That was the—I I forget if it was like two or three years ago. There was the the conference call where the the, the CEO at the time—I don't know if he's still the CEO—but the CEO at the time was talking on the call about, and apparently saying it with a straight face. Yeah, we feel like this is uh, people can have several of these. You can have one in your kitchen. Sure. You can have one in your uh, man cave. You can have one in your lake house, and it's like, how, how many of these things do you think I need? It's right. going to be the Keurig Brewer slash
1: alarm clock. You just wake up and it's right there next to your
2: bed. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I, I think it goes to the point where, there's it, always a great point about how much it, it's counter space, right? How much counter space does the right. average person have in their kitchen? Well, by the time you have the microwave, the toaster, co- the regular coffee machine, maybe, what else, you know, what else do you want to try to put up there? It, it gets it gets crowded. By the way, kludgy is a word. <laughs> it means awkwardly or uh, Inelegantly made or done. Just I was going to jump in there and say that. And let's
1: clarify for our listeners that if there's spelling, there is K L U D G Y. I was looking that up as well. So don't ever say you don't learn anything from this collusion. I mean, we're, we're more than just investing here, guys. We are. But let's get back to the investing. <laughs> um, two
0: IPOs today, and and notable. Not necessarily for great reasons. Uh, One is Square, the mobile payment company. The other IPO is Match Group, which is the collection of online dating businesses Tinder, Match.com, OKCupid. Uh, They are both. uh, Here's the nicest thing I can say. Uh, The nicest thing. (laughs) Both both stocks are trading higher as a result of their IPO. Match Group went public at $12 a share which was the low end of their range, Square is getting the headlines, and rightly so, because Square went public at $9 a share, which is significantly lower than its last round of private financing, which had it valued at, I think, around $16 a share. So, even though it's up and it's trading somewhere north of $13 a share, if you're one of those last-stage VC investors, you're not happy.
2: No, no. They well, Square raised yeah uh, last year. They were in the private markets they raised capital valuation of six billion, and coming into this IPO, they were looking at a three billion dollar valuation. So that you know that news, and then I remember the uh, was it uh, a few weeks ago that Fidelity came out and said they were writing down twenty five percent of their the value of their Snapchat yep. stake, which was. And you know this goes back. Jason and I were talking about this. Uh, Chris Saka, who's a, a guy, a venture capitalist we follow, former Google employee, he's an early investor in Twitter and Uber. He was on Bloomberg this past summer, gave a really great interview about the, the the VC market, the kind of the market for these unicorns, and how he really thought as early as this fall, and he's right on schedule that we'd start seeing down rounds, uh, challenged IPOs, IPOs being pulled. Uh, a lot of funding issues, and that is exactly what I think Square and Match are kind of showing us today, even though the stocks are up after the IPO, but that's after really coming in on the low end or even reducing their original IPO range. I think this is the result of that.
1: I think this is all this also really, I think speaks towards the general efficiency of the stock market. I think you know, it's very easy for someone to go in there and look at a stock price or look at any given company and say, oh, well, the market's got this wrong, and, and and this is worth way much more, you know. And so a lot of times, I mean, we'll actually look at it as a team. We think, okay, well, usually a market has it right, but maybe it's not looking at it through the same timeline. or Maybe we can exercise a little bit more patience than the market might. But I think generally speaking, you know, you look at this and I think, well, okay, there is at least some sanity in the world because there, it, it it seemed like it was getting a little out of whack. And when Maddie and I were watching that Sack interview. It just it was like, wow, you know, you you got to take what that guy says. Seriously, because he's he's living that life day in and day out, and um, and yeah, it, it it really does seem like uh, we're going to see more of these valuations come back down, and it's and it's for good reason, right? They're catching a lot of headlines, but you still need to, you still need to generate sales and profitability, and if the promise of that seems even somewhat nebulous, I mean.
2: Right. Well, Square. Yeah, Square hasn't made a profit in, in, in six years of existence, and it, it actually the business itself right now is a pretty commoditized business, just processing credit card transactions. Which lots of competition, lots of not great pricing power in that business, and they're trying to get into uh, you know payroll and working capital loans and things like that. But and then you've got Jack Dorsey, of course, splitting time with Twitter, which Jason and I we like a lot better, we own it <laughs> yeah. in our portfolio. But I, yeah, I think there's just over the past couple of years, there's just been a lot of excess capital. Chasing a lot of these deals, and the, when the returns are haven't been great in the public markets, you've got a lot of these banks and uh, private equity firms now, even beyond the venture capitalists, who are getting into the private funding rounds, and uh,
0: they're going to eventually, someone was going to pay the price for that. A uh, couple things. First, uh, for those unfamiliar with the term unicorn, uh, that refers to a private company that has had several rounds of venture cap financing, and with each round, ideally. There's a greater and greater valuation, and when a private company hits a valuation, a private market valuation of a billion dollars, it is referred to as a unicorn. And I and I remember the Saka interview, and there was a there was another uh, guy around the same time who said something along the same lines. And what stood out to me was he used the phrase "dead unicorns." He said, "We're going to see some yeah. dead unicorns mm, before yeah, the year is uh-huh. over." Um, Square. I don't know if you know any small business people who use Square. The the few small business people I know who use Square in their business love it. Yep, and it's it's incredibly convenient. But to your point, Maddie, that's great for the small business people. But when you start to dig into the way Square makes money, they're getting a tiny little scrape, and it's just as an investor, it's it's not a compelling. It's not a compelling business right now.
2: No, but I I, I mean, I like the strategy. The strategy was let's make a great experience, let's make it very easy and seamless for a lot of these individuals or small businesses to transact or take credit card payments, which that's that's good. But and and so, but the hope was that once Square kind of gets into your store or into your business, that it can start offering you a lot more services uh, around your business. And I I think that's where they're going to be challenged. And if they don't break into those higher margin types of areas. I'm not sure this company is going to be ever worth very much because the business model itself it's is not challenging. But I mean, that is
1: a lucrative a lucrative market there, just the general merchant services, and given given you know how how much uh, small business makes up. You know our our overall economy. I mean, there is a big opportunity there. I think it's worth noting too, though. I mean, when you look at these two businesses, and I would be very interested. We should we should send out a poll to our market full of real listeners on Twitter uh, Twitter to get an idea of whether they would find Match.com um, or or Square to be a, a more compelling IPO. Because for me, what I do initially is look at the S one. I to find out what they're going to actually do with this money. And so, it, it, two two completely opposite ends of the spectrum here. With with uh, uh, Match, they're going in there. They currently intend to use all of the net proceeds of this offering to repay related party indebtedness owed to IAC. Right, this was IAC a spinoff. Is the company that yeah owns uh, almost all of the voting power of Match, uh, and and when you compare that to Square, Square is going to be using these net proceeds in order to uh, for for general corporate purposes and in working capital, or in other words, to grow the business. So when I look at these two IPOs and I think, all right, I mean, Square certainly has all of its challenges uh, laid out in front of it. I I think there's there's a more interesting opportunity. Certainly, to my mind, far better leadership. I think Jack Dorsey is, uh, I think he's a good leader. But I think I I think Jack is a good person. I think a lot of things that he's doing in, in. he's giving away around 40 million of his shares of square to like you know benefit small businesses and, and those in need I mean he's obviously given back a lot of his Twitter stock to the uh, employee stock fund there at, at Twitter so I mean I think generally speaking Jack is a pretty good guy um, it, it, I I don't think the same could be said necessarily for leadership at match much more kludgy uh, the, there much the, more, yeah, much well, more the, the CEO of Tinder which is a match <laughs> property is sort of you know stepped in it a number of times and to see sort of the way the leadership is shuffled in and out of there has been a bit odd and I don't know, man. It, that just seems kinda of like one of those businesses where you just I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of just enjoy watching it. I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it fail. I just I, Maybe it's because I have two daughters. You know, I just, I, I just, I don't know, man. It just kind of feels, ugh, kind of feel dirty saying it.
0: Yeah, there's, there's know? something a little. And again, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'm in the same boat as you, where it's just like, uh,
1: swipe the hell out of here. I don't even want to be. I, a part uh, of it, uh, there's,
0: I'm not, I'm not putting it on the same level as like tobacco, but it's just like, yeah, I own, I own shares of a dating company. Sure. I
1: choose not to invest in. it. I choose not just leave to, it at yeah. that. Um, not going to be pitching this one to MDP anytime soon, mate. Okay. Eh? I appreciate um, that,
0: Jason. <laughs> big picture. It does seem, though, that I don't know. One of my thoughts as I was watching this play out this morning with Square and Match, and I'm not invested in either and I'm not really interested in either, but one of my thoughts was I don't know, it made me feel a little bit better about the state of the stock market. Whereas yes, a year absolutely. ago, we were just like holy cow this market is so hot something bad is going to happen and i look at this and one of my thoughts was oh there's sanity and rationality being played out in full display on wall
1: street today i couldn't agree more i think that's a great takeaway i'm glad you said that cuz i mean i don't know about how you feel matty but i i look at that and i think man all right maybe now we're kind of back to a sort of a sense of normalcy here Valuations are starting to to make a little bit more sense, and 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 they're looking at more of the fundamentals of the underlying business and sort of the future and how they plan to make money and stuff. I think that's a great takeaway from this.
2: Couldn't, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the the one slight fear I have is as a guy who I mean I like as a former rule breakers, uh, you know, analyst and a guy who likes to see a lot of IPOs just because that means brings new companies, new interesting companies to the market. There could be you know a big kind of a uh, little bit of a cold winter here for for new companies where they kind of they pull, they pull offerings, and they stay private. They, they, you know, seek funding in the private market, which probably the right thing and prudent thing to do on the corporate level. Sometimes, though, it can mean that uh, as public investors, we we miss out on some opportunities. I don't think that's a big I- issue, but it's something that
1: I'm thinking about. Well, I was planning on going public, but now I think I'm going to hold off for now. It well, Adrian
2: Foster, like Adrian done. Foster, you know the NFL guys, the running backs, <laughs> right. pulled his
0: offering as well. I mean. Probably a good move there too. Probably just as well. Uh, two housekeeping notes before we wrap up. Nell Minow is our guest on this week's Motley full Money Radio Show. Always look forward to talking to Nell. And a reminder that next week on Market Foolery, we've got our two-part special on millennials and investing. We got so many great questions from our listeners. We got more email on this topic than any other topic in the five years we've been doing Market Foolery. Really? So that was great. All yeah. Right. So huh. really looking forward to that next week. So. Uh, tell your friends, because, again, it's a free podcast. It's free. You can't beat the price. <laughs> no, and we're sir. not going public anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> no time soon. Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, thanks for being here, guys. Thank thanks, you. Chris. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fluid. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.